Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Thursday, February 20th, and that means we're talking energy. I'm your host, Nick Seipel. Joining me today is Motley Fool contributor Jason Hall. Jason, how's it going? It's it's fantastic. It's uh, it's it's really good. Pitchers and catchers have reported. Spring training's kicking off. I've got something to buy me time until college football starts in August. So I'm good. Life's good. You know, I have some hot takes on the Astros, but I'll save those for the end of the show. Uh, let's Ooh, we got buddy. a great show planned for everybody. Uh, I have a feeling our our uh, our uh, our man behind the glass is also going to want to chime in on uh, on that too. So yeah, let's save that for the end. But that'll be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got a great show planned today. We'll be breaking down how energy investors should be thinking about the coronavirus, giving some of Jason's most recent stock purchases, and we'll answer a listener question on Pattern Energy. But first, we had big news this week in the charitable donations front. On Monday, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos announced a $10 billion donation to create the Bezos Earth Fund, which will uh, fund programs to combat climate change. Jason, what were your thoughts when you saw this giant uh, donation from Jeff Bezos? Yeah, I, so so the cynical part of me is like, yeah, well, I think he's just tired of everybody um, beating up on him for being so rich. It's funny how, you know, people become immensely wealthy, um, and immediately become like the, the obvious target for everybody. And it's, it's amazing how this guy's just taken a beating. But then I think back historically, this is, this isn't new, right? Billionaires. I mean, and especially you're thinking about going back to the industrial revolution and working forwards in the United States. Um, it's not, uncommon to see people who have been, you know, titans of, of, of capitalism do things like this. So I think it's fantastic. It's, it's interesting. Um, we will, you know, we'll see what they do with it. Um, but, but I think if you look at some of the things that Amazon has done in terms of trying to use renewable energy to, to run its data centers and that kind of thing, um, I, don't know, I think I think Bezos gets it. I really do. So I think it's a big positive. Yeah, I think Amazon has made s- several moves when it comes to uh, trying to be greener uh, this past year. So they announced plans to to order a large number of these Rivian electric vehicles. They partnered with Rivian uh, to create uh, the, these Amazon branded delivery vehicles, which should hopefully right. reduce their emissions in a meaningful way. Uh, but we'll just have to see. I, I think. Uh, you know, whatever you think about, you know, ultra wealthy people, when folks take that take that money and and donate it to good causes, whether that's the Gates Foundation, which I think is one of the best charities out there today, or what Bezos is doing today, I think that's really where uh, you can start paying dividends. Uh, you know, well beyond your lifetime uh, if you're someone who has this type of wealth. So so hopefully, good things come of it. Um, on less optimistic news, I suppose in the past week, a coronavirus has continued uh, to play out. We saw uh, Apple uh, reduce its guidance for the year. And the International Energy Agency uh, this week, last week, came out and said that the virus is set to cause oil demand to fall for the first time uh, in a quarter uh, since the financial crisis back in 2009. So, Jason, as you're looking as an energy investor, as what's going on uh, with the coronavirus, how are you thinking about that? You know, it's it's funny. I think I think just thinking about it from even just beyond energy markets and thinking about it holistically as, as an investor um, – uh, it's it's another reminder that there's not really an effective strategy, an effective exit strategy that investors can use to avoid potential like short-term losses from these kinds of things, right? You just there's let's let's go back a year ago. This wasn't on anybody's radar. It couldn't have been on anybody anybody's radar, right? You just you can't 
you know, you can't plan for any way to exit the market before something like this happens. So it's a reminder that you really have to have to have a long-term investing plan. You have to build your thesis when you invest in a company based on the company's prospects to be able to survive and even potentially thrive through these kinds of kinds of things, these unexpected. So you own companies that have a good margin of safety and and good cash flows and, and that kind of thing. So I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is, you know, you can't you can't use this as a as as an example of how you could have avoided losing money. Um, besides holding good companies through it and coming out the other end. You know, on the on the other hand, I think these kinds of things, what you can do is you can plan to use them as buying opportunities. Um, if good businesses get a little bit beat up, maybe unnecessarily, you know, you keep a little cash in your portfolio and so you can opportunistically buy when those things happen. But I'll be honest with you, you know, just looking at it, um, kind of poking around in the markets, I don't see any obvious buy opportunities right now. I really, so you, you mentioned Apple as an example, Apple stocks up, you know, since late, since late January, um, um, it's, 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 it's kind of strange, you know, I just, I don't see any, um, you know, direct correlation stocks that have, that have lost value that just, it doesn't really seem to be an associated thing. So, um, obviously I haven't looked at every Chinese affected stock, but I think in industrials and energy, particularly, you know, I don't, I don't see anything yet, but it's worth continuing to watch because who knows how long this is going to play out. You know, I think, I think we're going to see a, a year of, of impact from this at some at some level, but but you know it's it's too it's really too early to say. Yeah, to, to your point, when you look at the markets, uh, with the exception, notable exception of, of energy, it doesn't seem the market has responded in a really meaningful way to to the risks that the coronavirus has, has faced. And I think when you look at the energy market itself, it, it kind of you understand why energy is being affected in a negative way. Uh, just because when we look at the oil market, there was already an oversupply. Dude, let's be honest. Let's be honest. I'm gonna just I just want to say this right now. Energy investors have are always looking for a reason to sell. I mean, the past five years has been misery. It's been absolute misery. So energy, their fingers are always on the trigger, ready to pull the trigger and sell at at, at the first notice. So, but you just don't know what's, when it's going to come back. So I'm sorry I cut you off, but I just I'm so frustrated with oil and gas right now. So okay, I feel better as you were. Yeah, no, it's it's just tough for these businesses, both in that you know conditions are already in a position of oversupply. And then uh, you have China, who is one of the largest consumers of oil and gas worldwide. I mean, if you look at the industrial market, obviously one of the biggest manufacturing uh, economies in the world as well. So you already have this this oversupply in place. And then uh, one of your biggest demand drivers just falls off the market. And uh, there's really not a lot that these producers can do. Uh, We've heard that the Saudi energy minister... Back in January, it originally thought this might not have very much impact on oil. This this week came out and said this is like a burning house. Uh, this is an emergency. Uh, we need to do something to correct this. I've been talks about an emergency OPEC meeting to deepen production cuts uh, to try to adjust this oversupply. Uh, but but when you look at this market as an investor, to your point, Jason, there's really not much you can do to predict this. But even even the the business uh, businesses operating in this space, there's really not much they can do to adapt uh, in, until these markets open back up. Uh, they're just not much uh, for for a manager to really do. Well, and we can take it as an investor. Let's take it to the next level. It's 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 the bigger. I think the bigger uh, challenge is let's let's say OPEC takes some steps and they and they and they cut production to kind of prop up prices. But here's here's the thing: when demand does start to come back, there is so much supply out there on a global basis. You think about the Permian Basin, you think about the Eagleford, you think about some of these big shale plays. There is this massive amount of oil that 
is uh, I don't I haven't seen the latest numbers, but in terms of of uh, wells that are drilled but uncompleted, uh, which essentially means that all they got to do is go out and, and frack them and uh, and connect them to the to the uh, connect them to a pipeline. Uh, they can bring they can bring these these wells on in a few days. I mean, it can happen so incredibly quickly, and there's a massive amount of oil that they can bring on within a few weeks. Um, so even when demand creeps back up, there is so much oil that can be swung back into the market so quickly. I can't I can't really see a way for investors to predictably, you know, with any kind of precision, know where to invest to to, to potentially profit from that because the oil can rush back in so quickly. You know, any surge in prices can get beat back down, you know, in a, in a week or two. So it's just, it's really tough right now. It's definitely in that uh, 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 too hard box, you know, it really is. Yeah, I agree completely, Jason. Even before uh, the, these coronavirus risks came online and really affected demand in a meaningful way, as, as I pointed out, there, were, there was already... Uh, it's difficult to see what the industry looks like in a few years, given this oversupply situation. I, I think right now, as, as an investor, I just want to wait and see how things play out. I, I don't think this is an opportunity <coughs> to jump in uh, to it to any of these companies. It's just it's just really hard to see what this industry looks like, you know, a, a couple years down the line, especially uh, if this this outbreak continues to play out. So I think it's it's time to wait and see, and uh, you know, as we get more information, maybe it'll be able to be an opportunity to invest. The best, I think, the best advice I could give people that are looking at the energy markets for opportunities based on this right now, is go look at consumer goods. Right. <laughs> Honestly, you know that's where the you know, the big names, the recognized names, like think about Starbucks. They have a big presence in China. Um, uh, think about um, uh, Apple. You know, obviously, um, you know those are the ones that people are going to think about. Traders are going to think about. Um, Hilton Hotels is an example. You know, they're closing a bunch of a bunch of they closed you know planning to close a bunch of hotels temporarily. Um, airlines, right? You know, there may be some big names that people think about that get that those those get voted down, get you know sold off real quick. Look there, you know, because there's predictability on the other side to how those companies can gener- generate meaningful results that lead to returns for investors. Right? Is that fair? No, I, I think that is fair. It's just it's it's it's. David Gardner likes to talk about when you're investing, you want to see dark clouds that you can see through. I can't see through these dark clouds right now. Yeah. Uh, Jason, moving on to maybe uh, stocks that maybe we want to buy. You've done a few uh, purchases <laughs> recently. Uh, what are some stocks you've bought recently and why? I have. So, I bought... Here's one. Here's one. And, and I know you... you uh... <laughs> you're not a fan like... You're not a fan like I am. <laughs> I, bought, I bought Ford recently. Yeah, what was your thesis on Ford, Jason? So... Um... I didn't buy it because I'm expecting it to uh, to beat the market. Um, I mean, let's face it, Ford's uh, Ford's business is um, it's it's kind of a mess right now. Um, you know, China's it's China business is you know down like a quarter. Um, it's it's losing money there. It's it's losing money in uh, several other markets around the world. Markets that you know, <laughs> other automakers are doing well in. Um, and it's spending, you know, ten or twelve billion dollars to to kind of turn things around. Uh, new vehicles, changing its some of its manufacturing. Um, it's you know, it's spending a ton of money on this. Um, but it pays a dividend yield that's you know, it's double digits. Uh, it's sustainable. Uh, this is a business that even after having a, a some people are calling it a kind of a dumpster fire of a year last year, still generated almost two point eight billion dollars in adjusted free cash. You know, if it's a if it's a business that's struggling, that's still generating almost two point eight billion 
um, in adjusted free, free cash and has, you know, a dividend yield that's that high, um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in it. Um, let's, let's talk about the sustainability of the dividend. Uh, the Ford family, I think they own somewhere between 60 and 65% of uh, voting shares. Um, they, 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 they want the dividend uh, to continue. Um, so it's, it's, it's highly unlikely that the dividend is going to get cut. It's especially true when you look at Ford's balance sheet, Ford carries, you know, more than, you know, more than $30 billion in total cash. I think about 20, 25 billion of that is actually tied to the, to the, 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 the auto, auto manufacturing business and the debt that it carries is, is very, very, very low interest, uh, very well structured in terms of when it has to be refinanced or paid off. Um, so again, I think, I think if this is, you know, if this is a, a business that's struggling, um, um, it's, 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 it's still one hell of a strong business considering all the things that it's going through. Why did I buy it specifically? Um, I wrote an article about it, um, maybe a week or so ago. Uh, we bought a new house last year, uh, late in the year and, uh, locked in a really favorable interest rate. And, um, my wife and I were thinking, you know, well, let's, let's start paying a little extra every month. And so we can bring that that uh, mortgage down as quickly as we can. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, we're paying 3.75% interest on this mortgage. That is cheap money. Um, I have little doubt that uh, if I invest that money, you know, especially today, you can you know, invest a few hundred bucks um, in stocks and there's no trading fees, right? So you don't feel penalized by paying five or six bucks on a small amount of money to, to buy stocks. Um, so I feel I can get a, a far better return over the long term by investing every month, investing that money in a basket of high-quality dividend stocks. Um, so I bought Ford just based on dividend arbitrage, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, I think over time I'm going to earn uh, a total return that's going to far exceed what I'm paying uh, in interest on the mortgage. And I think I'll just be in a better position to, uh, to, to, to do that 10 or 15 years from now. And uh, Ford's just is, is one of the first stocks that I decided to buy a little bit of. Yeah, I think you know to some of your points on Ford. This is a company that has just been in this the middle of this massive uh, restructuring that has kind of uh, just colored the company uh, over the past you know year or so. But if you look out over the long term, they do have the most popular uh, truck brand in the U.S., which is the most pop, uh, you know profitable model. They just came out uh, with with this new um, new Mustang uh, EV uh, that that has gotten some very positive reviews. So, so we have seen some some signs of a turnaround for Ford. But but in particular, if you're investing for the dividend. Uh, you know, this is a company yielding about seven and a half percent right now. Uh, so, so definitely a robust dividend. And, you know, folks might not be particularly excited about Ford right now, but if you look, this is a company about a hundred years of track record. This is the only uh, Elon Musk likes to call this out. Only Ford and Tesla are the uh, only U.S. automakers to not have gone bankrupt. So, you know, at least yep. for that track record, uh, Ford has some staying power. And your other uh, recent pur- purchase, Jason, is. Probably gets folks a lot more excited uh, than Ford. <laughs> That's Virgin Galactic, which has just been a monster performer these past few months. Yeah, it's um, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. This is this is one that I did something pretty rare for me. Um, this is this is a bit of a flyer. It, it really was um, because again, this is a this is a speculative investment. Uh, this is a company that doesn't have revenues. Um, we don't we don't really know exactly. Um, what it's, what it's operating results are going to look like. Um, 
we don't know what, what kind of valuation really. I mean, you can you can you know you can kind of draw out and sketch out all of these different valuation ideas and try and project. Um, but at the end of the day, I think I think anything is what they call it's a swag, right? It's a scientific wild ass guess. It really is. But I think that the 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 but but what I think is really compelling to me is in a way. I think that um, the, the Virgin Galactic is taking a similar approach to building a business to what Tesla did. Tesla targeted, um, you know, instead of building a cheap, uh, you know, a Prius competitor, uh, decided to build a sexy, fast, beautiful, really interesting, really fun vehicle targeted to premium buyers when it brought the Model S to market. And then the Model X, so it had the you know the larger version, um, and then it's continuing that with the with the pickup. So it started it started with these. It kind of built a a, a you know multi million dollar revenue a multi billion dollar revenue business, targeting uh, people that make a little bit more money, a premium market. And so you know I think Virgin Galactic's doing the same thing with this this space tourism business, right? So you know a quarter a quarter million dollars uh, for. You know, an hour and a half of flight time basically is what it, what it works out to. So two days of space camp and and uh, 90, 90 minutes of flight time uh, for a quarter million bucks. Um, so so <clears throat> the idea is you know that's a starting point and that's going to build a business and then over time it's going to expand to a mass market and you're going to start looking at things like you know um, long haul travel uh, that's much faster. You get out of the atmosphere, um, you know you, you can you can get around the world instead of you know, taking a day to get to, from from the East Coast to to uh, Australia, you know, to, uh, turning that into a few hours. Um, so it's 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 a really really compelling business, and I think it's one that I decided, you know, based on you know, based on uh, its leadership and based on somebody with a reputation of building uh, really really interesting uh, businesses. Um, I think it was it's just it, I was it's one that I'm willing to risk a small amount of capital in to start. Follow closely, and then over time, you know, if it if it if it if it if it plays out, you know, this is one that I could definitely see buying more of. But for now, I'm just going to kind of sit back and watch. Yeah, I think we did a podcast on this. Uh, me and Luis Sanchez back in August uh, talked about this business. You, you mentioned the two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar per ticket uh, price. Yeah, yeah. So, so to your point, uh, th- this is a company that is it's the only currently publicly available space tourism company, which I think has been a big driver for the stock. You've seen that in the past with you know Beyond Meat, Tilray, these companies that have that have low float uh, that are the only pure play uh, to invest in this sector. However, uh, if you if you look at the, the underlying you know numbers uh, that the company you know gave out when they went public, they do put forward a path uh, to profitability in the relative uh, a near term. So I, th- I believe the numbers we called out uh, in that podcast uh, back in August is that uh, t- to be a profitable business, they need to to do about a, a thousand uh, flights per year, which uh, relative to their target markets, so there's two million people in the world with a net worth greater than ten million dollars. You can say that's the target market of folks who can afford to pay this two hundred fifty thousand dollars per flight. To, to have a profitable business in a year-on-year uh, basis, they need to capture a thousand of those people per year. That's 0.1 percent. Um, of the total market, so that sounds you know pretty doable uh, to get to profitability. However, one thing to just to notice there: a thousand people a year. At least when we did this podcast back in August, there've only been 570 or so people who have ever been to space. So you're looking at roughly doubling 
the number of people who go to space every year uh, for this company to get to profitability. Right now, they haven't they haven't taken anybody to space yet, but they're the only player doing it, and so that's really driven a lot of interest in the stock, and it's just been a monster performer uh, when it comes to lots of folks piling into the stock trying to get onto this trend. Yeah, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, just a little inside cooking here. I bought... Um, when did I buy? I bought uh, February 10th is when I bought. So 10 days ago today. So like seven, eight, mark, eight seven trading days. And uh, my investment is up 81% as of uh, like 1.30 on uh, the 20th. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I tell you, I'm, I'm, another article I wrote about my Tesla experience, about how I almost made $35,000, but didn't because of my habit of um, not sitting on my hands. I'm leaving this one alone. I'm not. I'm not selling. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just to apply a, a stupid betting term. I'm gonna let it ride, baby. I'm just. <laughs> it's just. It's so compelling. I think it's so interesting. I'm just. I'm gonna watch, and I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna enjoy the ride for uh, for whatever it works out to as an investment. Yeah, for, for, for my perspective right now, I'm just gonna watch and see. I want to see them get a couple flights off. Uh, you know, proof of concept uh, on this business before I really want to hop in. But, uh, you know, there's tons of excitement. On Tuesday, Fidelity reported that Virgin Galactic was bought more than any other stock. So more than Apple, more than Tesla. You've seen option volume over 10x since December. So just massive interest in the stock. Um, very frothy right now. But again, it's the only player uh, it, that you can possibly invest uh, in this, this, you know, space tourism business. And there's a lot of interest there. Yeah, I, I fully expect that if, if I were to buy the stock today, uh, there's a very reasonable there's a very reasonable potential that if I bought it today instead of ten days ago, uh, ten days from now, I would I would have lost half my money. Um, I think that that is the kind of volatility that this investment could have uh, because we don't know. It's all speculation at this point, right? I mean, just, if you think about the trading volume you're talking about, you know, this is a company with no revenues. That's getting more trading volume than the most profitable company in the entire world. There's yeah. your context. Yeah. So so this is one of those, I think if, if I were to buy it today, that's one of those you buy it and you never look at the price for the next three years. And, you know, assuming this business executes like as, as they have said, uh, they should theoretically be profitable uh, by 2021 and really growing meaningfully. I would expect after a few safe flights, the, the, the TAM or the number of people interested in, in doing this type of space travel probably increases meaningfully. Um, however, uh, if, if the first few flights don't go well, uh, I, I could see that going the other way. So, so a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of variables there, but really a big opportunity uh, for this company. The only way public investors can really invest in this trend right now. Right. That's um, it. Before we go away, we had a listener question from Rob about Pattern Energy. I know that's one of your uh, favorite stocks, Jason. They, they got an offer uh, to be pay, taken private a few months back, and that offer uh, was to buy out the business at twenty six seventy five in an all-cash deal. But Rob says shares are currently trading about a dollar above that. It's pretty clear there aren't other buyers interested to come in and buy Pattern Energy. He asks, why is that happening? It seems like it could be dividend-related, uh, but he just wants to know what's going on. Why is it trading above the deal price? What can you tell him, Jason? Yeah, it's it's his 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 assumptions correct. Uh, uh, pattern pays a forty two point two percent or forty two point two cents per share dividend each quarter, um, and the deal is expected to close um, sometime in the second in the second quarter of the year. So it still has a couple dividends to pay um, before before it closes. So the markets is is baking the value of those those dividends into um, into the into the share price. Um, so yeah, that's why it's that's why it's trading at that at that uh, premium. So my, my thoughts are, you know, as if you're an investor, I think you, the the way you want to think about it is if you're showing, 
If you if you own these shares in a in a in a taxable brokerage account, and you've owned them for less than a year, and you have a gain, um, you know you may just want to continue to sit on it so that you can take advantage of the lower long term capital gains uh, rate if you can get past that one year of ownership of the stock, because um, that'll just that'll that'll cut the the, the that'll you know, could substantially lower the amount of tax you have to pay on your gains. Um, if that's not a concern for you, um, and you have other ideas, yeah, I think I think now's a reasonable time to exit. I think one of the challenges, though, is if you're looking to uh, reinvest that capital into another yield co. You know, the, the the past you know the past year or so has been absolutely you know gangbusters for. Um, for for pretty much all the all the Yulcos out there, I mean, you're you're looking at um, you know Brookfield Renewable Partners is up ninety percent, Terraform Power is up seventy two percent. These stocks have have really really run, um, and, um, and and you know I think from a, in a short term there there could be some risk that we start to see some the market kind of give up a little bit on some of these. Um, but but I think if, if if you're just ready to move on, um, if I, I've, if I could offer a couple suggestions up there. Um, I think I, I really like um, Brookfield Renew- Renewable Partners a lot. Um, Brookfield Renewable Partners is is working to finish acquiring the remainder of Terraform Power it doesn't already own. So you know we'll see how that plays uh, plays out. Um, but I think one that's really really worth a close look um, that I've been following for a while is Atlantica Yield. Um, it's it's it pays a yield that's just about five percent even after its stock prices. Has gone up pretty substantially over the past year. It's one of the smallest yield co's out there, um, but I, but I think it's really interesting because in addition to renewable energy, it also uh, has some investments in water desalinization, and uh, we could see it continue to uh, to invest in in that area. And I think that's going to be a, a, a you know kind of an um, and maybe an unappreciated underappreciated uh, growth area. You know, over the next decade or so. So I think I think I would probably put Atlantica Yield kind of at the top of my list of uh, of stocks right now to replace in your portfolio uh, if you if you decide to sell Pattern Energy. Yeah, and if folks want to see some more detailed discussion on some of those companies, Jason and I did a podcast back on January sixteenth that you can go back and listen to where we talk about. Uh, you know, we talk about Atlantica Yield, we talk about Clearway Energy, talk about Brookfield Renewable. So it should give you a good introduction uh, to to a lot of those, a lot of those potential businesses you could invest in. Um, you know, we teased it at the beginning of the show. Jason said pitchers and catchers have reported. I want to get your takes. What are you thinking about this Astro scandal, Jason? So before I answer, Austin, can you contain yourself while I respond, or do you need to jump in here first? Go for it. Okay, attaboy. Um, I, I think if you just look at how many um, players. That normally don't really take stances on things like Mike Trout is an example um, is 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 a good example. Um, this is a guy that doesn't he, you know he usually kind of toes the company line um, so to so to speak on these kind of things. So for him to speak out in the way that he has, you know, I think that um, you know I think that really does that really does say a lot. I think this is this is it's ugly. You know, it's definitely a black mark on. On uh, on the game right now, um, but nothing's going to change. You know, these 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 guys aren't going to get um, penalized. Um, but but I think on the other side, I think if you're an Astro, if you're one of these these guys that have this reputation as being such a great hitter, you know, one of the best, 
um, in the game, you know, you have to be motivated coming out of this, right, to prove that 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 um, <laughs> you're not just a product of knowing what pitch was coming. So um, I, I'm, I think the thing I'm going to be most interested interested to see this year is um, how, how do their best hitters perform? Um, if if you know, we'll, we'll see. I think that's going to answer a lot of questions. If these guys come out and kill it again, and and they're you know one of the top two or three offenses in baseball, um, then uh, I think that's going to shut up a lot of people. Um, but if they struggle, if even one or two of them struggle, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's going to continue, you know, it's going to exacerbate things and this is going to continue to be a big deal. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't think, um, I don't think the MLB could have handled this any worse. Yep. Amen. I, it's been, it's been horrible. And I think it's going to continue to be horrible because the Astros refuse to admit that they cheated. They just say we broke the rules. It didn't affect the game and it, definitely did and i just i think there's enough backlash that the commissioner is gonna have to do something or he's gonna be gone yeah i i think you know tying it into business i guess and management and how important that is i i think baseball is a good example of a, of a league that's really just not gotten it right i mean you've got this astros cheating scandal that's number one but when you look at you know bam tech what they do on video they're one of the only leagues that hasn't embraced you know twitter and youtube and all these sorts of things which has really held the game back when you look at a game that, that's really struggling to grow among younger people when you have you know tarnishing the competitive you know how, how competitive and fair we think the sport is as well as just not embracing new media i just think there really leaves a lot to be desired in the leadership of that league trevor bauer had a great rant about that that exact thing yeah. oh yeah yeah no and he was spot on uh, it's absolutely spot on um as a, as a braves fan watching you know ronald acuna kind of bring that, that personality in life. It's kind of opened my eyes a little bit too. And, and yeah, I think, you know, it's the NFL got, has been labeled the no fun league because of all their, you know, celebrating penalties and stuff over the years, but, but baseball's got to start embracing these guys. Question. What's the, uh, uh, Austin, this is for you. What's the over under on, uh, Alex Bregman's home runs this year? Uh, 30, 30. That's what's the over under. I'm going to go under and they've been cheating the whole time. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Asher's going to win 83 games. Heard it here first. Over on the 85 hit by pitch. Wow. Wow. I I'm going to go I'm going to go over and I'm going to say 100. Oof. All right. I think the I think the the prop bet is 85. So I'm yeah, definitely going think, over. Yeah. I think I'm, I yeah, I think I think you take the over on that. And I, but I think here's the thing. I think if if the le- if if the league actually starts to come down on pitchers and suspend pitchers for hitting these guys, the union's going to revolt. I mean, I think they're. I think you could see. I think you could see a team walk out of the stadium. I mean, I think there it was could be already that. talks of a MLB strike last season. So, yeah, because the whole the 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 contract coming up and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I think I think there's a what's the over. So okay, so I'm gonna so Justin Verlander pitching batting practice. Uh, I'm gonna say he he's gonna he's gonna hit five. Of his own guys in batting practice, you're gonna take the over or under on that. That's good, right? Yeah. That's good, right? I mean, I, come on, be... can you imagine that? You're in there for you're in he there for BP. You're facing Verlander, and he, you know, he hits you in the hip with a 95 mile an hour cutter. Hard pass. Yes. We shall see. That's what we'll be watching uh, coming up <laughs> coming up uh, uh, later this year. I hope you all enjoyed our uh, our nonsense discussion on baseball, and uh, you know, we'll be looking forward uh, to having Jason on again sometime soon. Maybe we'll talk about college football next time. Hey Nick. Hey Nick, the Bulldogs had the uh, number one recruiting class this year. 
Oh no! What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? <laughs> yeah. Let's let's play. Let's play Alabama this season. How about we do that? Third game. Let's do that. All right. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. As always, people in the program and companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and full on.